Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'm catching on the hosel, right? Yeah, right, right. Moving my head. Yeah. Clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess. Four! Please, Darren Pritchett is now broadcasting. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It is seven minutes after five o'clock on this Memorial Day, Monday, May the 30th of 2022. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat is live on this holiday. My name is Darren Pritchett. Hope you're having a terrific weekend. And of course, we all should keep in mind why we are celebrating, quote unquote, celebrating this weekend. We are celebrating all the past soldiers who gave it all for our country, active duty members, veterans, retired. They make this country awesome, and we are so thankful for them. And not only do we appreciate them on this Memorial Day, we appreciate them 365 days a year. Well, on this Memorial Day, we've got plenty to talk about. Notre Dame baseball, somehow, someway, is not hosting a regional, and no one seems to have a really good answer to why they have to go to Georgia rather than hosting a regional at Frank X Stadium. We'll dig into that conversation in just a little bit. I guess it was kind of debut day at Wrigley Field as a couple of former members of the South Bend Cubs made their major league debuts today in Game 1 of the Cubs' doubleheader at Wrigley Field against the Milwaukee Brewers. Pitcher Matt Swarmer, I would say he would go under the category of a guy that beat the odds to get to the majors. Meanwhile, Nelson Velasquez, an extremely talented hitter we watched in South Bend. I'm maybe a little surprised he's here this soon. Now, an injury is a major reason why, and another outfielder being injured at Iowa probably were the perfect dominoes to get Nelson Velasquez to the majors. But by golly, he was there today wearing number four and got a base hit his first time up. So we'll talk about Chicago Cubs debut day in just a little bit. We'll sneak in a little college football talk. The ESPN way too early college football poll is out, and All of the big names you would expect are near the top of the poll, and Notre Dame is in the top 10. So we'll have a little conversation about Notre Dame football, college football in general in just a little bit. We've got our My 5 question of the day. Who had the best weekend in the 6 o'clock hour? A look back at the Senior PGA Championship held the last four days at Harbor Shores in Benton Harbor, Michigan. I was there for the fourth round yesterday. We'll offer some perspective 
on the major championship going to Stephen Elker. Now, you may not know who Stephen Elker is if you're a follower of the PGA Tour, but if you follow the Champions Tour, this guy is red hot, and he picked up his first major yesterday in convincing fashion as he posted an 8-under par 63 in the final round, and he walked away with a three-shot victory over Stephen Ames. So we'll talk some major championship golf up in Benton Harbor in the 6 o'clock hour. Also coming up, we'll have our sports wagering segment. Really good week last week as the record, 12-3. and three. Not sure we can come close to that this week, but by golly, we'll give it our best shot. We've got four selections ready to roll coming up in the 6 o'clock hour here on WSBT Radio. And in the last half hour of the program, we're going to play back an interview with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Mike Singer to talk about the commitment of four-star running back Jaden Lamar to the University of Notre Dame. So if you're by the grill right now, sitting by the pool, I'll do my best to entertain you over the next couple of hours. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Pet Refuge's ABC Clinic. South Burnett Drive in South Bend, helping fight pet overpopulation. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. And by Tim Grau, State Farm Insurance for surprisingly great rates that fit anyone's budget. Call Tim at 574-232-9981. The first pitch of the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Well, our first pitch on Sports Speed today centers around the Notre Dame baseball team not having the opportunity to throw out another first pitch at X Stadium this year. In what many would call and I'm in that category, a shocking development. Link Jarrett's Fighting Irish baseball team that was ranked number one in the country at one point this year, consistently in the top 10 and the top 15, got a shock to the system yesterday when the regional sites for the NCAA baseball tournament were unveiled and South Bend was not on the list. It sounds like They were team number 17 and the top 16 host regionals. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not going to be like Mad Dog in New York City and just start screaming and yelling for no reason about this. Because I'll be honest with you, unlike the work I do for Notre Dame basketball, and what they need to do to get into the NCAA basketball tournament like I did this year, even back in January when things were looking bleak. I was laying out what they needed to do, and by golly, they got it done. I don't have all that data, so I'm not just going to scream from the top of my lungs. I'm just going to say this from a fan's perspective, 
not knowing all the resumes of the other team, this has always felt like one of the best teams in the country. And they play in one of the best conferences in America. I would probably say the ACC is second to the Southeastern Conference. The ACC got nine teams into the NCAA tournament. So that means Notre Dame was facing outstanding competition weekend and week out in conference play. But it wasn't enough. Link Jarrett's team went 35-14. and 14. If you want some analytics, I do have that for you. In the RPI, they're number 14. Pretty solid. They went 16-11 and 11 in the very difficult ACC. They reached the semifinals of the very difficult ACC conference tournament. But it wasn't enough. They're going to Georgia Southern to play their first set of postseason games. One number that stands out. Now, this is one number that I'm not quite sure how the committee doesn't give Notre Dame more credit for this. I think there's one thing that hurts Notre Dame. I'll get to that in a moment. But here's the stat. And, yeah, it's one stat, and I'm probably cherry-picking a little bit. I don't want you to think, just because of this stat, they should host a regional. But this is a pretty telling stat. So they break down all these games like the basketball tournament into quads. And that quad system, quad one games, you play the elite teams. Then there's quad two, quad three, quad four is bottom of the barrel. Well, against the RPI top 50 teams, Link Jarrett's Fighting Irish Baseball team had a record of 14-7. and 14-7 and seven is a winning percentage of 667. So how does that rate across college baseball? Well, let me give you two stats. Again, keep in mind, Notre Dame was 14-7, and seven, with a 667 winning percentage against the top 50 RPI teams. When you look at the 16 teams that are hosting a regional this weekend, only seven of the 16 teams that are hosting a regional had a winning record against quad one teams, the top 50. That same top 50, Notre Dame went 14 and seven, well over 500. Seven of the 16 teams hosting a regional this weekend had a losing record against quad one teams. In fact, let's take the numbers a step further. When you look at playing the elite teams in the country, those quad one top 50 teams, Notre Dame has the second best winning percentage against the elite teams in the nation. That 667 number is only topped by the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament from the Southeastern Conference, the Tennessee Volunteers. Tennessee went 20-3 and against the top 50. Yeah, that's an 870 winning percentage, and they're really, really good. They got that kid who throws 105, amazing offense. No doubt Tennessee is the favorite going into the tournament. 
And, oh, by the way, if the Irish get out of the Georgia Southern Regional, they would line up with number one Tennessee in Knoxville in the Super Regional. So not an easy road for Link Jarrett's team. But just based on beating good teams in the NCAA tournament selection process, beating good teams is extremely important. Now, I am not going to sit here and tell you the same is true with the baseball. I don't know exactly they do the baseball, what they look at. But obviously, that number didn't mean a whole lot to the committee. Now, here's the one thing that hurts the Irish, in my humble opinion. And I'm not sure what you can do about it. Notre Dame baseball is in an area where it is very difficult to schedule quality midweek games. So Notre Dame is going to have to play teams in the vicinity that can travel decent travel for these teams to come to South Bend to take on the Fighting Irish. For example, they played Valparaiso a couple of times this year, a weak Missouri Valley Conference team. I mean, you try to bring in Butler, you try to bring in MAC teams, but you're just getting very little out of these games. You're getting quad three, quad four matchups. And I think that's probably one thing that really hurts Notre Dame's resume, that their quality of opponent in those midweek games just don't stack up to other programs across the country that are in a more fertile area to play those midweek games against teams in their vicinity. There's nothing Link Jarrett can do about this. That's just an obstacle that Notre Dame has to deal with. I mean, you can bring in Western Michigan, Eastern Michigan. If Illinois State will come over. I mean, they've been decent at least. Valpo, Northwestern, Butler, Miami, Ohio. But they're just not going to give you a lot. Link Jarrett went out and scheduled seven Big Ten teams or seven Big Ten games. Five of the seven games ended up being quad four games, which don't help you a whole lot. So Link is a bit handcuffed. And if we're going to give the committee some slack or try to understand their decision-making process, that probably is a good place to start. The midweek games do hurt Notre Dame. But at the end of the day, it's not all about the numbers. It's about the eye test. The eye test is important in basketball when they select the 68 teams for the tournament. There's all the analytics, and those are very important, but the eye test shows you that Notre Dame has been an outstanding team throughout the year, and they just did not get rewarded. So this team that hosted a regional last year, the number 10 overall seed, did not get a super regional. They were disappointed about that. Had a resume deserving, but their facility might have been the part of the equation that held them back. But they went out and won their regional, didn't lose a game, took care of their home field, had to go to Starkville to take on Mississippi State. They lost in three games, heart-wrenching. One game, they kicked the ball around something that they never did last year, the best feeling team of the country. They lost to the team that went on to win the national championship in Omaha, Mississippi State. So it's been all about getting back to that spot 
getting over the hump and getting to the College World Series. Well, they have been dealt a tough hand. If you're playing Texas Hold'em, you're going to have to do some magic. Now, it's not like the regional is overwhelming. There are good teams there. You got Georgia Southern, 40-18 out of the Sun Belt. Four teams from the Sun Belt made the NCAA tournament, and they were the 16th overall seed, which makes you believe that Notre Dame was 17. So Georgia Southern, the number one seed in their regional. In Statesboro, Georgia. Number three seed from a very good conference, the Big 12, the Texas Tech Red Raiders, who went 37-20. Texas Tech finished in a three-way tie for second place in the Big 12 conference during the regular season. And the four seed from the Southern Conference, the only team to get in, the conference champion, UNC Greensboro, who went 34-28. and And a good amount of kids on that team were recruited by Notre Dame head coach Link Jarrett. That's where Link arrived from, UNC Greensboro to Notre Dame. So I'm sure some mixed emotions for Coach Jarrett, seeing some very familiar faces possibly in a game in this tournament. So here's where we stand. Friday, down in Statesboro, Georgia, the Fighting Irish, the number two seed in the regional, will take on the three seed, Texas Tech, a pivotal game. It is so difficult to lose the first game and come all the way back to win the regional. You are going to have to go through a lot of pitching to get to the Super Regional. So the first game is so massive, and it's a good matchup between the Irish and the Red Raiders. That game Friday at 2 o'clock, you'll be able to watch the game on the ACC Network. The other matchup on Friday is under the lights, 7 o'clock. The number one seed, Georgia Southern, 40-18, and 18, will take on UNC Greensboro, the four seed, who went 34-28 and 28 that game, 7 o'clock Friday night. That game will be on ESPN+. Plus. As I mentioned, if Notre Dame can win this Georgia Southern Regional, they would line up likely against the number one seed in the tournament, the Tennessee Volunteers, who went 53-7 during the regular season. And without a doubt, the favorite to win the national championship. So, that's the road. If I'm not mistaken, and this is off the top of my head, this just clicked as I was talking about Tennessee. I believe former Irish baseball coach Paul Maneri coached his final game last year for LSU in the Super Regional against Tennessee. So there is a little Notre Dame long route tie-in to Knoxville if the Irish can get down there. But first, they have to get through the Georgia Southern, Texas Tech, UNC Greensboro speed bump. And hopefully the Irish can get through that and head to Knoxville. Or maybe Tennessee gets knocked off by somebody. Georgia Tech is in that regional. That's really the only realistic competition for Tennessee in their regional in Knoxville. So I hope the Irish players can flush this, get it out of their system. Frustrating second straight year. They feel like they've been robbed by the NCAA selection committee. 
You can't let the committee win. You can't let the committee rob you and then be a factor in you losing the first game because you're still focused on the disappointment. And when if things go bad at some point in a game, don't start thinking about, well, if we're in South Bend, this would be different. You just got to play the hand that you're dealt and see what they can do. It's unfortunate. It seems unfair again. I'm not going to throw a major fit because I don't have all the details of what the committee was looking for, but just based on the conference that they were in, the success they had against the top 50, I'd love to see the layout of what made Georgia Southern the host site and not the Fighting Irish because it seems like very easily it could have been Notre Dame the one, Georgia Southern the two, and we play at Frank X Stadium. Not the case. They'll just have to do it the old-fashioned way, head on the road, and get the job done down in Statesboro. So the Irish will not host a regional. I mean, you talk about a stunner. Wouldn't have guessed that in a million years going into the ACC tournament. In fact, D1 Baseball, who does all the projections, had Notre Dame as the number seven overall seed. But unfortunately, the selection committee, who has the final say, looked at Notre Dame totally differently than D1 baseball. They were teetering on being a super regional host in the projections, but yet they don't get a regional. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on sports radio, 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. It is 5.33, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, Wrigley Field is out of a doubleheader today between the Chicago Cubs and the leaders of the National League Central, the Milwaukee Brewers. Game one is in the books, and the Brewers came back to beat the Chicago Cubs 7-6. It was kind of a unique day at Wrigley Field. The game, and this is not being disrespectful to the players involved in the game, but you'll see why I'm saying this, but the game had the feel of a triple-A game today. There were so many newcomers. There were so many fresh faces that had just arrived with the teams or been around a short amount of time that it just felt like a minor league game. You just take a look at the starting pitchers, Small was on the mound for Milwaukee, making his major league debut. He played at Mississippi State. And it was Matt Swarmer on the mound for the Chicago Cubs. It's the first time in Brewers history that two pitchers in the same game starting against each other, both were making their major league debut. It's the first time the Cubs have been involved in two starting pitchers making their major league debuts in the same game. Since 1944, Matt Swarmer spent some time in South Bend playing at Four Winds Field. And I got to be honest with you, this is one I would not have made a prediction on in a million years that he would make the majors. No way, no how. I'll explain why in a couple of moments. But Matt Swarmer is 28 years old, a right-handed pitcher out of Cutstown. They used to be known as Cutstown State. That is where Hall of Fame Buffalo Bills wide receiver Andre Reed played his college football. John Mobley, a linebacker 
for the Broncos when they won Super Bowls with John Elway. He was also from that same school, but that's where Matt Swarmer played his baseball. And he was drafted the year the Cubs did not pick for a while. They had used up draft picks to sign free agents to make that push toward winning the 2016 World Series. Swarmer was taken in the 19th round. 19th rounders aren't supposed to make the majors. You could argue they are minor league system fillers. And when you think back to Matt Swarmer pitching in South Bend for the South Bend Cubs in 2017, he was anything but a guy that was a player that filled the roles necessary of what the Cubs needed. Very similar to what David Bodie was for the Cubs as a position player. David Bodie was in South Bend in 2015, got to play a little bit more than he had in previous years, started to show a little more production. He was a guy that was going to be let go by the Cubs, but Buddy Bailey, our manager a couple of years ago, said to the Cubs, you're making a big mistake. Keep this guy. He will do whatever you ask. If you want him to catch, he'll catch. Want him to play the outfield, he'll play the outfield. That's who David Bodie was, and he was a super young man. I mean, wonderful guy to be around. Couldn't be happier. He got to the majors. I know he's been dealing with an injury this year, has not gotten onto the field yet, but hopefully he'll be back soon. Matt Swarmer was the pitcher version of David Bodie. When he pitched in South Bend in 2017, he also pitched for Low A Myrtle Beach. I should say, excuse me, back then, High A Myrtle Beach. He pitched for Double A Tennessee and Triple A Iowa. He was the type of guy, if there was an injury to a staff for one of those minor league teams, if there was a promotion and you needed to fill a hole in your starting rotation or in your bullpen, Matt Swarmer was the guy that they called upon because he was a pretty good strike thrower. And he wasn't going to embarrass himself. He was going to give you a quality go. You're not going to send one of your top prospects that you feel like can help you at the major league level and have them pitch at all four levels in spot occasions. He was just the handy-dandy little utility knife you could almost use as an analogy that the Cubs had in their system. And he went from team to team helping whomever. That is not the bio of a player going to the majors. And that's why I said a moment ago, there's no way in the world did I ever imagine Matt Swarmer would pitch in the majors. He wasn't a bad pitcher. It's just the role the Cubs had given him when I was around him. I remember him sitting on the bus. He was very quiet, very genuine, very kind individual. But I just saw him as kind of a guy that was going to be an organizational pitcher. He was going to do what they needed in the minors. Well, you take a look at 2017 with South Bend. He pitched in 14 games. This was low-way baseball at the time. 14 games. He only started two. Everything else was out of the bullpen. His ERA in South Bend, 5.33. Not good. 49 innings pitched, 54 hits, 52 strikeouts. There's an important stat for you. Strikeout per inning. That keeps you alive in a minor league system. When you miss bats, you got a shot. And even back when he was giving up a good amount of runs, he was still striking out one per inning. 
2022, we fast forward. AAA Iowa, nine games, five starts, 39 innings, a 2.08 ERA, giving up less than one base runner per inning. And guess what? Strikeout per inning, 39 innings, 42 strikeouts. And with the Cubs in desperate need of some fresh arms, he got the call up today for game one of the doubleheader and performed pretty well. Did not get a lot of help from his defense as Clint Frazier made an error out in the outfield. Also, there was an infielder error by Patrick Wisdom. The final line for Swarmer today in his big league debut against the first-place team in the NL Central. The Brewers, six innings, five hits, four runs, only one earned, and he struck out six. One strikeout per inning. That's pretty doggone good. This is a cool story. Out of nowhere, don't want to be Carl Spackler and call him a Cinderella story, but he kind of is. He was an organizational guy, and that was the guy that just helps you wherever you need, not long-term. And he gave up 35 home runs at AAA Iowa a couple of years ago. He got hammered, but he has really worked on that slider that is his dominant pitch. He throws it a lot and was really good today for the most part when I was watching over the first three innings. Cool story, underdog story, happy for him, and got a taste of the big leagues today and might stick around. We'll see. The other debut for the Cubs today at Wrigley Field was Nelson Velasquez, a 23-year-old outfielder from Puerto Rico, fifth-round pick of the Chicago Cubs in 2017. I remember putting this in the game notes when I was doing the South Bend Cub games. Members of the front office saying this was the most toolsy guy that we drafted in 2017. I always remembered that. Jason McLeod made the statement. And when we first saw him in South Bend, it was kind of like, mm. in 2018, Nelson Velasquez in South Bend, 31 games, hit 188, 242 the on base, no homers, seven RBI, 43 strikeouts, and 112 at bats. If anything moved, he was going to have trouble hitting it. Fastball? He liked it. Off-speed, problem. But it's going to take time. This is the one thing I honestly learned about being around minor league baseball as a broadcaster. You always have to make sure before you, in your mind, give an evaluation of a player, you have to think about the age of the player. If you've got a 19-year-old facing, on average, 23, 24-year-olds, that is a major, major challenge for that young player not saying he can't do it but it is a major factor and Velasquez was overwhelmed at the time that was back in 2018 that's when he's 19 years old came back in 2019 got off to a slow start again but then the second half of 2019 it clicked in 72 games with South Bend during their championship season in 2019 he hit 286 338 the on base his slugging was 424. The power still didn't show up. It showed up in batting practice, not in games. Four homers, 34 RBI, and stole five of eight bases. Last year, the power really started to click, and now what he's accomplished in the minors this year has set the stage for his call-up today. Nelson Velasquez at Double A Tennessee, where he started the year, 22 games at 288 with a 394 on base and a 700 slugging. That's off the chart good. 
nine home runs, 17 RBI in 22 games at double-A. The old saying is, and I believe in this saying, if you can hit at double-A, you can hit in the majors because the prospects are in double-A. Then he got called up to triple-A Iowa, a little more difficult, 19 games for Nelson, 214 the average, 291 the on-base, but three homers in 19 games with eight driven in. Jonathan Villar had to be placed on the injured list. Villar was using one of those elastic bands to work out, and apparently the band snapped and hit him in the mouth, and he is going to need significant dental surgery to fix the injury that occurred when that band broke. And we know the stress put on those bands when you use them. Oh, I cannot imagine what that felt like, nor do I want to know what it felt like. And with Brennan Davis, the top prospect in the Cubs system, not available right now. He has not played in almost a month due to a lower back injury at AAA Iowa. He would have been the likely call-up. But instead, it was Nelson Velasquez. And today, he stepped to the plate in the bottom of the second inning. Nobody on. Two men out. Velasquez facing, again, another individual making his Major League debut for the Brewers, this left-hander named Small. This audio courtesy of Marquee Sports Network. Trying rave reviews for their work in the fall league. leads off to a great start. This is going to be a knock. Softly hit. Well played. Throw to first save. And a base hit. First Major League hit for Nelson Velasquez. Any way you can get them, you'll take them. You see this all the time, the indecisiveness. And the part of the pitcher in the first baseman who's got the bag, who's got the ball. By the time you make up your mind, you're out of time. Well, Nelson was absolutely fooled by the pitch. And he hit it off the end of the bat. It squibbed to the right side of the diamond. They had a bit of a shift on. And when you hit these bleeders against the shift, good things normally happen. It went past the pitcher. The second baseman, Colton Wong, had no chance to get to the baseball. It was up to the first baseman. Rowdy Telez to get to it, and there was no way for Small to get to the bag. So Nelson Velasquez, first major league at bat. He picks up the infield single, finished the day one for three. He's the Cubs' number 15 prospect and won a championship here in South Bend. And now in 2022, he makes his major league debut. So there's been a good run of former South Bend Cubs making it to the majors this year. Brendan Hughes comes to mind, the left-handed pitcher. Nelson Velasquez, Chris Morrell continues to play a lot for the Chicago Cubs. He was at the top of the order today for the Milwaukee Brewers. It's been a cool year if you follow South Bend Cubs baseball to see some of these guys graduate to the majors and dreams are coming true. So Matt Swarmer and Nelson Velasquez make their major league debuts today for the Chicago Cubs. Swarmer with the South Bend Cubs in 2017. Nelson Velasquez in South Bend for parts of 2018 and the championship 2019 season. 13 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Darren Pritchett with you. This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Let's 
Eight minutes in front of six o'clock, a live Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Monday, May the 30th of 2022, brought to you by Budweiser, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Pet Refuges, ABC Clinic, Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, and Tim Growl, State Farm Insurance. My name is Darren Pritchett. Thanks for joining me on this Memorial Day. Running out of time here this hour, so I'm not going to get to this segment. I'm going to carry this over to tomorrow, but I teased. I wanted to talk about the ESPN way too early college football poll. They have a new top 25 out, and Notre Dame is number seven in that particular poll. And I'm not necessarily in agreement with all of the statements they made about the Fighting Irish. So we'll get into maybe a little bit more on that on tomorrow's program. But since I teased it, let me at least show you what the top seven teams in the country looks like. Alabama is number one from people I have listened to that knows Alabama. Their pass rush and their defense is going to be a whole lot better than it was last year. You got a Heisman hopeful in Bryce Young at quarterback. They lost all those wide receivers, but the transfer portal was very good to Bama as they got help at running back and wide receiver. They could be a handful once again Coming out of Tuscaloosa, Ohio State, Notre Dame's first opponent is number two, six offensive players back, including another Heisman hopeful quarterback in C.J. Stroud. Now they have seven back on defense. That can be good and bad. They were not as good of a defense as they hoped in Columbus last year. They gave up quite a few yards and points, more than they're used to. So we'll see about Ohio State that first game. I mean, we're going to learn a lot about both of those teams right off the bat. Sometimes when you play a cupcake, weaknesses are hidden. There will be no weaknesses hidden when those two teams get together. Georgia, the defending champs, are number three. Only four defensive starters back. Heck, everybody else win the first round of the NFL draft, I think. Number four, this was the surprise. USC moved up. Eight spots from their last way-too-early top 25 poll to number four in the country. This was right after Jordan Addison hit the transfer portal and went from Pittsburgh to USC after 100 catches at wide receiver for the Panthers last year. Texas A&M, it's on the record, of course. Jimbo Fisher has told us they do not cheat. They're number five. Utah, now that one caught me off guard. I got to do a little research on Utah. Wasn't expecting another Pac-12 team to show up that high. But Utah, number six, and Notre Dame, number seven. The Irish play Clemson this year. After a disappointing year last year, Clemson is number 12 in this way-too-early poll. And BYU, the matchup in Las Vegas, they are number 19 in this way-too-early poll. We'll talk more about those teams coming up this week on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, who had the best weekend? I'll try to come up with five good answers. Away we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. Well, this isn't really a good weekend thing, but because this player accomplished something that I didn't think was possible and it's not a good thing, I'm going to give him credit for it. What in the world was Reds outfielder Tommy Pham thinking? 
He was upset about something that happened in last year's fantasy football season, and it involved an opponent of Fam and the Reds over the weekend, the San Francisco Giants. Remember the Cubs had Jock Peterson for a while last year? Well, he thought Jock Peterson cheated in fantasy football and confronted him during the series. What are you thinking? It leads to Fam getting suspended three games. So let me get this straight. You're a Major League Baseball player, and you got suspended not for intentionally throwing at a hitter, not for cheating, not for having ping-pong balls coming out of your broken bat, but you got suspended three games for trying to create a fantasy football fight on a Major League Baseball diamond. What are you thinking? I'll just say this. He came up through the Cardinals system, and as a Cardinal fan, there weren't many Cardinal fans upset that he was moved to another team. He was a handful. Three games for starting a fantasy football fight. I mean, at least use a performance-enhancing drug or something to get suspended. That's not very manly. Come on. That's got to be one of the oddest suspensions of all time so because of that nice going tommy you had a great weekend four coming in at number four we'll salute two area high school baseball teams that have won sectional titles today the penn kingsman took care of a really good northridge team seven to five and john glenn also picked up a victory today so congratulations to those two baseball teams South Bend St. Joe had a walk-off sectional win. I believe it was on a home run against their rival, Mishawaka Marion. So St. Joe is in a title game tonight. And a good matchup in Plymouth. That game is either underway or about ready to start. Laporte taking on South Bend Adams over in Plymouth tonight. Laporte was down 2-0 to Mishawaka in the sixth inning. They scraped together a two-run sixth inning, and then they scored in the seventh without the benefit of a base hit. And Mishawaka, the underdog to the seventh-ranked team of the state, Laporte, the whole ball game, just couldn't put it away. So many games this year Mishawaka lost in the sixth and the seventh inning. Leads had got away. And Laporte survived and advanced to take on South Bend Adams, who rolled by Plymouth. Over the weekend. So Laporte and Adams playing down in Plymouth for a spot in the regional. And if I remember correctly, don't say this is a fact, but off the top of my head, I think the winner, Laporte Adams, might play Penn in a regional semifinal. So Penn and John Glenn have won sectional titles in baseball. We'll see if St. Joe can do it. Either Laporte or Adams will join the list later tonight. Okay, okay. Who had the best weekend? The Boston Celtics, one of the great franchises in American sports history, back in the NBA final for the first time since 2010. The Celtics held off a late Miami Heat surge to win Game 7 of their Eastern Conference final down in Miami, 100-96. It is the sixth straight time this postseason the Celtics have followed a loss with a victory. And now Boston will take on the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals, which start 
on Thursday. And now of the major franchises in Boston, Red Sox, Patriots, Bruins, Celtics, the franchise that has gone the longest without making it to the championship round is the Boston Red Sox. And, of course, they won it in 2018. Tough being a Boston fan right now. Number two. Who had the best weekend? Marcus Erickson, the winner of the greatest spectacle in racing as he held off Palo Award to win the Indy 500 yesterday. Erickson, a former Formula One driver, became the second Swede to win the 500, joining Kenny Brack, who won in 1999. Erickson's best finish in the three previous Indy 500s he participated in, 11th last year. I guess Erickson used the dragon move to block O'Ward to help him get to victory. It's considered a dangerous move. It got him to the row of bricks first. He got a big old slug of milk and a nice big wreath and trophy to go along with it. Marcus Erickson wins the Indianapolis 500. Number one. And who had the best weekend? We'll go with New Zealand, Stephen Alker. He won the senior PGA championship at Harbor Shores in Benton Harbor. 50 years old. He won his first major title this weekend. But he has been outstanding since turning 50 and joining the Champions Tour. This is his fourth win, and he's also lost in two playoffs. He played in six majors on the regular tour, four British Opens and two U.S. Opens. He only made the cut two times. Not a very familiar name from his days on the PGA or European Tour. But on the Champions Tour, wow. He has made a big splash and held off couple of really good players, Stephen Ames and Bernhard Langer, to win the Senior PGA at Harbor Shores. And we'll talk more about the Senior PGA coming up in our next segment. That is our My 5 question of the day for this Monday. When we come back, we'll spend a little time talking about the Senior PGA Championship, the major championship back in our area won by the gentleman from New Zealand with some pretty good pursuers yesterday. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT Radio app. Leading off the 6 o'clock hour on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. I plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy is good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. A Midwest League champion. Adios! Walk-off home run, Eloy Jimenez. Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye, and maybe that's the winner. Here's Darren Pritchett. Well, the senior PGA championship back at Harbor Shores in Benton Harbor, Michigan last week. Great to have the major championship back in our area. Boy, we've been blessed as golf fans the last few years. We had the Symmetra Tour event at Blackthorn for several years. It's now moved on to South Bend Country Club. So 
I know it's changed names now, but the Symmetra Tour, basically the minor leagues of the LPGA Tour. Brooke Henderson, now one of the top players on the LPGA Tour, won the Four Wins Invitational at Blackthorne, which got her on to the LPGA Tour. Then we had the Senior PGA Championship come to Harbor Shores a handful of times. And then, truly local, we had the U.S. Senior Open at Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame in 2019. And still to this day, one of the coolest weeks I've had since I arrived in town in 1998. Beyond the obvious things like Notre Dame football, Notre Dame basketball, calling the Irish hockey games, that week was a treasure as a golf fan, John Foster, then the general manager at Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame, worked on that project for years, got it pushed through, and, man, the golf course looks so good on national TV. We had a great winner. Steve Stricker from Wisconsin went to the University of Illinois, won his first-ever major championship that week, and it was an emotional Steve Stricker. Came so close on the PGA Tour. Never grabbed one of the big four, but he won the U.S. Senior Open. He won our national championship, and it meant the world to him. And it was an honor to have such a great champion here in South Bend, winning it at Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame. Once again, the Senior PGA Championship back at Harbor Shores in Benton Harbor, Michigan. The Jack Nicholas layout just off of Lake Michigan. And some of the best senior players in the world were present. A couple of names, disappointingly, were not there. Fred Couples and actually Stricker had to pull out as he tested positive for COVID-19 the week leading up to the championship. So Stricker did not have the chance to come back to, I guess, the area where he won his only major championship at the U.S. Senior Open. But this was a unique week. We had a really good leaderboard throughout all four days. You want to see big names on the leaderboard when you have a chance to go to a tournament like this or watch on TV. We want the big names. And there were a lot of really juicy names near the top of the leaderboard throughout the four days. But the guy who won it was one of those under-the-radar players. He might be one of those players you've never heard of from his time on the PGA Tour, the European Tour, whatever small tour he was on. But he turns 50, something clicks, and he becomes a dominant player. And if you follow the tour, he's become a household name. It's Stephen Alker, A-L-K-E-R. And I'll be honest with you, I don't follow the Champions Tour unless there's a major in particular when it's at Harbor Shores or when the U.S. Senior Open was at Warren. So I had really not caught wind of how dominant this guy was coming into Harbor Shores. More on that in a couple of moments. But Alker caught fire yesterday when the rest of the leaders coming into the fourth round were playing right around even par golf on a Sunday at a major Win was a little bit of a factor up at Harbor Shores. But it was a nice, comfortable day to play golf. But there was not a lot of good scoring from the last groups, except Alker. Steven shot a remarkable 8-under par, 63, to win his first major as he beat Canadian Stephen Ames 
by three shots. The 63 carded by Alker at Harbor Shores tied for the lowest final round score in senior PGA Championship history. Now, we talked about Alker last week on the program because he was in the lead after round number one. But entering the final round on Sunday, he was four shots off the pace and there were some players in front of him with major championship winning experience, including Bernhard Langer. But Alker brought his A game to Harbor Shores on Sunday, and he blitzed the field again while everybody else was one under, two under. You look at the top of the leaderboard, and there was Alker with an eight under par 63. I had the chance to be in a VIP tent area which was right behind the 16th green. And to my left, you could watch the golfers tee off on the par 3 17th. And Alker, coming into our line of sight, put one in the middle of the fairway on the 400-plus yard par 4 with it being a dog leg to the left and water all along the left side of the fairway. It's a dangerous tee shot. If you miss it to the right, there's rough, there's trees, and If you missed it to the right, there was going to be a bunker in between you and the pin, and the pin was tucked behind some undulations. So if you hit the green coming out of the rough, there wasn't going to be spin. It just hit the green and kicked to the back of the green into some heavy rough where the ball would sink very quickly. But what does Alker do? Leading by two shots at the time on his 70th hole of the championship, looking for his first major. He gets out a short iron, and he sticks it to about four feet for a tap-in birdie. At the same time, Ames on the par 5 15th was making birdie. So those birdies canceled out, and Alker went to the 17th hole with a two-shot lead. And he would close out the tournament par-par. Ames needing to make something happen. Couldn't, made bogey on 17. And when Alker made a short par putt on 18, He had the golf tournament wrapped up. He had a three-shot lead as Stephen Ames was going to tee off on the 72nd hole. And he got it done. For Alker, he won his first major. Put this into perspective. Just 15 events ago, Alker needed to Monday qualify just to have a chance to get into the field for a PGA Tour Champions event. He had to show up Monday and qualify just to get into the field. Now, he doesn't have to worry about that. His last five starts on the PGA Champions Tour, first, second, first, tied for third, and first at a major championship. For Alker, his win at the KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship was his third title of the season. He also has... Seven top five finishes in his last nine starts. First place at the Senior PGA Championship at Harbor Shores. This is not a bad day's work. $630,000. I think if you finish 10th place, you got $77,000. Not bad, but the winner, $630,000. He just turned 50 a few months ago, and boy, is he taking advantage of this opportunity. And the $630,000 he won at the Senior PGA Championship 
was what he earned at almost 400 starts on the PGA and Corn Ferry Tours. That one special week, it clicks, and he makes $630,000. Alker was asked about the Alfred S. Bourne Trophy, a humongous trophy, one of the biggest trophies in all of sports. He said, quote, first I saw Arnold Palmer. You twist it, and you see Lee Trevino, and you see Jack Nicklaus, and you see Tom Watson. It's an amazing trophy. You see the names, and you choke up a little bit. It's pretty cool, end quote. And now Stephen Alker's name will be on that same trophy with Palmer, Trevino, Nicholas, and Watson. On his play in the final round, quote, I just kind of did everything well today, just the whole package. Just stayed calm and made good decisions and putted nicely and drove it better, and that all adds up to a 63, end quote. I think what made the win even more special for Alker was the fact he had experienced players in pursuit of that championship. And once he got the lead, they were pursuing him, but he never blinked. That shot on 16 almost sealed it. Stephen Ames finished second, three shots back, two-time winner on the PGA Champions Tour. Ames on Sunday, a one-under par 70, finished three shots back of Alker. He was 58 years old in the final group with Mike Weir and Bernhard Langer, who won the KitchenAid Senior PGA in 2017. Ames was two under through three holes and looked like he was starting to grab hold of the tournament. He was looking for his first ever major, but made a few late bogeys, and eventually Alker went right by him with that eight under par, 63. For Ames, who had a really nice PGA Tour career, This would have been like Stricker finally getting that major championship. And he's been close recently. This marked Ames' fifth top 10 finish in 2022 in nine events. The next major on the PGA Tour champions calendar is the U.S. Senior Open, where Ames was in the final group on Sunday a year ago as well. Couldn't close it out. Ames said, quote, here I am, another major finishing second. It's a step in the right direction, moving closer to number one, end quote was along the 18th fairway, and there was a long delay. The tournament was over. Alker was in. Ames couldn't catch him. Longer hit it to the right of the fairway where there is water and brush and bunkers, and it took a long time to find the golf ball, get a ruling, whatever the case may be, and Ames and his caddy were literally five feet from us, and he was very frustrated. Like, how can we not have an official at a major championship on the 72nd hole? There's only one hole left to watch over, and no one is helping longer. And Bernard is very slow. He takes his time. He takes as long as anyone, even over a three-foot putt. It takes him a while. So it took him, took him extra amount of time to figure out what to do in that spot. And Ames was frustrated. Before Longer hit his second shot into the par four, Ames ended up, he was behind the green. He was frustrated. He's like, let's go, let's play. Someone hollered, hey, Stephen, the bar is still open. He goes, thank God. He'd had enough of waiting, but a good week for Ames. Then you had Longer, 43 champion tour victories, 11 majors, looking for number 12, and he grabbed the lead early on the back nine, but made three consecutive bogeys to put himself in a tough spot. Looked like he was going to make history. 
The 64-year-old was going to become the oldest winner in senior PGA Championship history, but it just did not pan out. But for longer, it was his sixth top-five finish at the senior PGA. He won it in 2017. An amazing, amazing player. 43 victories on the Champions Tour, over 100 victories worldwide, two Masters Championships. When you see his name on the leaderboard on the Champions Tour, you got to get a little nervous, but Alker never blinked with Longer right there with him. Jack Hutchinson remains the oldest winner of the KitchenAid Senior PGA. He was 62 and he won in 1947. In 2017, Longer was 59 years and nine months. Would have been a 64-year-old winner last weekend at the Senior PGA. And we all want big names on the leaderboard. There was a great group of players tied for fourth at minus nine at the Senior PGA. You had K.J. Choi, Miguel Angel Jimenez, Paul Goidos, and Mike Weir, all at minus nine, tied for fourth. Choi had a really good PGA Tour career. Jimenez loves his cigars and his red wine. One of the great warm-up routines on a driving range in professional golf history. If you don't believe me, just go to YouTube, type in Miguel Angel Jimenez warm-up, and you will see poetry in motion. I can't even describe it to you, the calisthenics that he does, but it's pretty funny. And it's pretty cool, and it obviously does the job as he has been a great player for some time. But just keep the cigars and the red wine coming. I'm surprised there were cigars and red wine left in St. Joe County in 2019 with Miguel playing at Warren Golf Course. Also in the field, Y.E. Yang. Do you remember him? He tied for 33rd this year. He was truly, you could argue, the one guy that stared Tiger Woods in the eyes and beat him. It was the 2009 PGA Championship. Yang was two down on Sunday. Not only did he catch Tiger, he passed him to win the PGA Championship. Overcame that two-shot deficit, one of the great courses in America, Hazel team up in Minnesota. You just look at all the names. There was a pairing on Sunday. You had Tom Lehman and Retief Goosen playing together. I was... Like I mentioned earlier, at the 16th hole, the 418-yard par four. Not many guys made putts. That pin must have been in a very difficult spot. Not a lot of lengthy putts dropped. Woody Austin, who is known for his temper, I think he was the PGA Tour player that took his putter, the shaft of the putter, and hit himself over the head and bent the shaft on a PGA Tour event years ago. Hit it in the bunker. Hit a bunker shot, probably eight feet short, was upset and slammed his bunker a couple of slammed his club, I should say, into the bunker a couple of times. But you know what? He sank the putt and all was well. It was great to see Ernie Els at the senior PGA. Four-time major championship winner. Was a, a top 20 finisher. I saw him on 16, couldn't get up and down out of the bunker on 16 and made bogey. But man, what a smooth golf swing. Big feet, big hands. I mean, a, a huge individual. The guy playing with him was half his size. It just shows you, you don't have to be a monster to be a great golfer. Any size person can be a really good golfer. Colin Montgomery, who is a little hit and miss with 
the fan bases through the years here in America. He gets a little upset. Normally he gets more upset when he's playing bad. If he's playing bad, one little noise, and it will totally frustrate him, and he'll go off. We, I remember John Foster, Tim Firestone, and I went to the senior PGA a few years ago. We were on the 16-17 part of the property, and Colin got upset that someone in the 10 area was making too much noise. So not only did he wait, he waited probably 30 seconds longer than he needed to and just stared up into the tent at the people that were making too much noise before he finally hit. Yeah, he overdoes it sometimes, but Montgomery hit it to the left of the green on 16 yesterday and chipped it in for birdie and was very good with the fans. He thanked the fans for holly. Hey, Colin, great shot. He would acknowledge all of them. Mark Hensby was in the group as well. His ball was right next to Montgomery. He hit next, and he knocked it to about a foot. And, of course, he got the aww reaction from the fans, and he won a little more, so he got his putter and his hands and started waving them toward the sky like, hey, make some noise. And, of course, the crowd erupted. It's fun seeing these golfers in a big moment have a little fun with the crowd. Alex Cech did one of those after he made a good par putt with the fans in attendance. So it's good to see some of these golfers come out of their shell for a moment and have some fun. And as I mentioned, Alker had a two-shot lead coming to 16 and hits that short iron approach shot to about three, four feet, knocks it in for birdie, up by two, a two to play, and he ends up winning by three shots. So another great week at the Senior PGA Championship. And the Jack Nicklaus course held up pretty well, 16 under, won the golf tournament. But it was cold and rainy Round two afternoon session, or the numbers probably would have been a whole lot better. Darren Clark and Chris DeMarco were in a group together. So, fun weekend at the Senior PGA Championship. I know I noticed a lot of Warren Golf Course memorabilia, volunteer hats, polo shirts, caps from some of the patrons at the Senior PGA Championship. So, it looked like there was at least a pretty good South Bend contingent up at Harbor Shores. Stephen Elker, who would have thought that a year ago? A guy dominating on the Champions Tour. He wins the Senior PGA Championship. 6.34 is our time. More Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Money, money, money. Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. It is 19 minutes in front of 7 o'clock on this Memorial Day. I'm Darren Pritchett live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com on the WSBT radio app. Well, 2-1 and one on our sports wagering segment on Friday. So we finished last week a sparkling 12-3. and three. And as we head out on the month of May and move toward June in May, sports wagering record of 22-13. and 13. Here are the four suggestions for tonight. We are going to go with the Dodgers against the Pirates at Dodger Stadium. The Dodgers minus two and a half runs. So the Dodgers have to win by three to win this wager. But let's go for it. 
behind their ace, Walker Bueller, on the mound. Dodgers minus two and a half runs against the Pirates at minus 105. The second suggestion, Diamond Bra- Diamondbacks and Braves in Arizona. Good young pitching matchup. Zach Galeen for the D-backs against a fireballer who the Braves used as a bullpen piece. Now he's going into the rotation, or maybe he's just going to go a few innings tonight, obviously. Spencer Strider, who throws over 100 mile per hour consistently. I'm going to go D-backs on the money line at home against the Braves at plus 100. Galeen's going to go longer in this game. He has been outstanding. I'm backing him. Third suggestion tonight. Game two of the doubleheader at Wrigley Field, Brewers and Cubs. I'm just going to go with the Brew Crew. Don't trust the Cubbies. They just put Seo Suzuki on the injured list before game two. Aaron Ashby, a young guy going for the Brewers. The veteran Drew Smiley for the Cubs. I'm going to go Brewers on the money line at minus 135. And the fourth suggestion for tonight Hey, I'm not going to get down into X's and O's. We're just going with trends. The Hurricanes win at home. They lose on the road, and basically the Rangers are the same way. Rangers have won one road game so far in the postseason. Hurricanes on the money line against the Rangers at minus 150. I'll go with Ian Cole and the Hurricanes tonight. And our underdog pick tonight, which is separate, I have the Rockies on the money line against the Marlins at plus 130. And the update of that game, Colorado 4, Miami 1, top of the 8th. They just scored 4 in the 7th to take the lead. Way to go, Rockies. In 1922, we began broadcasting under the call letters WGAZ, the world's greatest automotive zone. Now, we're your home for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame and the best sports talk in South Bend. Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Celebrating 100 years of broadcasting in 2022. 649 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett. Live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. Mike Singer is the Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. He will join me on tomorrow's program to talk about the latest in Notre Dame football recruiting. But late last week, we had the chance to have an extra visit with Mike as we discussed Notre Dame picking up a class of 2023 four-star running back, Jaden Lamar, and I asked Mike to offer his insight on what Lamar could bring to this Notre Dame football program. A lot of the comparisons that I've, I've been hearing, not only from on three director scouting rankings, Charles Power, Blue and Gold analyst Tim Hyde, Notre Dame fans as well that I've seen in comments, I see some Kyron Williams in him, and and I see it as well. You know, he's listed at 5'11", 190. I think he's maybe got – he's quicker. He's even fat, He's faster than than Kyron at this point. He's ran in the 4'4", four, 4'5", four, four, ranges already as a high school junior. Laser timed as well, so not hand time. Like when I was in high school, Darren, as a freshman, uh, I ran a 4'7 on the track, and my coaches were like, whoa, it's crazy. I'm like, yeah, because you probably – you know, click, clicked your, your timer when I was at 35 yards still. Um, so I, and I appreciated that. 
Um, but see, I want to talk laser time. I think he's he's got a little mix of Tyree and Williams because he's got that. He's not as fast as Chris Tyree. I mean, Tyree is you know, I mean track star. I mean, he I mean he is beyond um, fast. Lamar is, is is very fast as well. It, so he's kind of got a blend of the speed of Tyree with kind of that all-purpose nature that Kyron Williams brings. It's it's a really nice get for Notre Dame. I mean, he can. He catches the ball out of the backfield. He um, is good in the slot. Just an all-around good running back get for Notre Dame. And I mean, I've I've met him. I've met his family. Just awesome people. Uh, his younger brother is the class of 2025 prospect. He's an offer from Arizona already. Um, so he's one to watch as well. So just all around, love this get for Notre Dame. Mike, it sure looks like that the Irish had to beat out a bunch of West Coast teams for his services. Yeah, um, Oregon, Michigan, Arizona was his final four along with Notre Dame. You know, USC had also offered him UCLA. Um, you know, Texas A&M was even in there. So um, it, it really, Darren, just felt like Notre Dame from the get. I mean, they offered him last August, got him on campus after the USC game. Um, he committed to the staff before he returned to Notre Dame for the blue gold game in April. Um, so it, it was really just a matter of how can Notre Dame make these running back spots work? You know, they're going to take two in this class. Um, and look, uh, it was who, and it was just going to be a matter of who. And, and Lamar gets in there um, as one of them. Cedric Irvin, of course, bounced out a week ago today as we record this. It was on May 20th. He decommitted from the Fighting Irish. Now it looks like there's still going to be a second back. Who that is is obviously still to be determined. So it seems like, Mike, at the end of the day, as you just mentioned, you lose Irvin, you add Lamar. The Irish are still in pretty good shape in their efforts to get two running backs. It looks like they've got a really good piece right now in Lamar with some really good possibilities still possibly ahead for this recruiting cycle. In June, they're going to bring in uh, Richard Young, a five-star running back from Southwest Florida, and they're also going to bring in Jeremiah Love, another track star. He's from St. Louis um, in Missouri. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's running back recruiting just keeps seeming to take steps up. Um, you know, from Lance Taylor now to Delane McCullough. I mean, it, it's it's just looking really good. I mean. We talked about it earlier this week, Darren, so I want to dive back into these the past uh, recruiting classes here in the past couple of years of who Notre Dame has signed and, and, and gotten commitments from and everything. I mean, it's, it's a talented group, and I think Notre Dame will land Jeremiah Love. I haven't put in a prediction yet at on three. I do like Notre Dame for him. I mean, out, they're going to have to beat out Alabama, Georgia, a bunch of other schools. Richard Young, that's a little bit more of a long shot, but, hey, they're getting the five-star number one running back in the country on campus that's a big deal in itself if you don't mind let me ask you one question about young i saw he laid out his visits coming up and all five visits are basically within a week and a half notre dame is a midweek visit does it matter at all in terms of official visits whether you visit during the week or weekend is there any really any difference when a kid chooses to come uh, no, not really. I mean, there, there's a difference in that he's going to be the only recruit on campus. Uh, I mean, officially, at, at least almost Notre Dame brings someone else in at that point. Um, 
so they have more attention on him, but um, there's also not as many other, you know, recruits on campus to bond with. Like the June 10th weekend has so many Notre Dame commits. June 17th has a few as well. So um, pros and cons, I would say. But I would say it's a bigger pro that, you know, he's able to, to spend as much time as possible with that Notre Dame staff. Or I should phrase that as Notre Dame's able to spend as much time with him. They don't have to worry about any other pro, any other prospects. Mike Singer, check out his work at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Memorial Day brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Pet Refuges, ABC Clinic, spaying or neutering your pet is as easy as ABC. Tim, Ground State Farm Insurance for surprisingly great rates that fit anyone's budget. Call Tim at 574-232-9981. And by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. That'll do it for Sportsbeat 656 at WSBT. Hi, I'm Andrea Jones. I am a DSP at ADEC. As a DSP, I help with personal care, household duties, and activities with the individuals. ADEC really cares about their employees, and I have received $1,400 in bonuses in my first year at ADEC. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 